This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 207 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It was the road trip from hell as Georgia State men's basketball dropped both games this week to go 0-4 in a road trip, including an absolute collapse Saturday afternoon at Coastal Carolina. We'll discuss the Panthers' low point of the season ahead of upcoming home matchups with the top two teams in the Sunbelt standings this week. But first, a quick peek at football as the initial spring 2024 roster has been released by GSU Athletics. Uh, Brady, what do you have to tell us about the uh, new roster we're seeing now? Yeah, so I guess the first good news is no surprises in a bad way where everyone from the December class that was a transfer expected to come in is there on the roster, seems to have made it reported for winter workouts. Uh, That includes Zach Gibson, who will be wearing number one. Uh, Starting quarterback coming in, choosing number one, feels like a guy, maybe feels like he's going to get the starter's job. Uh, Obviously, we'll still see how that plays out. Um, There was one surprise in, I guess, a good way, where Josh Black, who has uh, been at Louisville since he came out of high school, out of Stevenson, in the uh, metro Atlanta area. He's an offensive lineman. Uh, he's a redshirt senior. He is on the roster, and that is not a name that we had expected before the rosters came out. Um, he has, like, single-digit games that he'd appeared in over four or five seasons at Louisville, so I don't think you're looking at this as, like, a immediate for sure bet to come in and be an impact player, but he had that power conference pedigree out of high school and coming back to play in the Atlanta area might factor in that interior lineman spot. You know, we might see him with some of the guard spots and the center spot up for grabs. Another name that we didn't know is going to be in there, maybe a possibility uh, to play there on the offensive line for Georgia State. That and no news is good news as far as everyone else reporting as expected. Uh, that's where we're at. And, you know, as it goes, the uh, roster is set for spring football. Thank goodness, because there was so much turnover and, you know, so many questions going into the offseason that it's nice that there is some stability now. Yeah, and I did want to touch on one football related thing before we do the basketball. And I feel like I have to always say this, but like, I really am not trying to just delay the inevitable with talking about this basketball. But this is something that's crossed my mind as I was looking at this roster. And it's I just spent time talking about the offensive line. The thing that I thought about is I just kind of looked over all the new faces. Not that many, you know, as far as like the defense, you brought in a handful of guys. But I thought about it as like there are not not that many starter spots up for grab defensively. But where you lost some guys like John Trey Hunter and Jordan Venziao, who were big players for Georgia State, and like they're going to be missed as far as what they brought. You brought in like Martez Thoreau from Kentucky. Uh, you brought in. Uh, Javon Hill from Marshall, Javon, Javon Hall, sorry. Um, you brought in, you know, Damon, Domain Wilson, the inside linebacker, Richard Freshman is one of the early enrollees. So you've got some guys there, not to mention Justin Abraham's back, uh, Josiah Robinson's back. And then you have both your corners back, Gavin Pringle and Isaiah Guy. And you added Kenyatta Watson from Georgia Tech. You added... Jerron Gilmore from Tennessee Tech at cornerback as well. Like, as much as there's questions about 
the offense and what it's going to look like. Who's even going to be lining up at every position on the offense? I think there's a lot of stability with this defense. And where there isn't, you brought in guys that you've like tabbed to say, like, this is going to be the guy who's going to come in and contribute. And there's not so much of a battle as much as a, you're kind of expecting to see these names we've seen, the, the guys I just rattled off uh, for the most part, coming in and helping this team out to where it's like, the defense should be a plus for this team. Like what what they're bringing back and having an actual offseason, an actual spring with Coach Staggs to continue to install stuff and another season where he can kind of know the personnel and see who fits what's role, what roles. Like, I don't think it's an unfair expectation to say, like, this should be a top half Sunbelt defense. And given what we don't know about the offense, that might be needed. And it might be kind of the the situation we have not been used to where it's kind of leaning on the defense to bring the offense along, but I think they're kind of set up to do so. I like that. You know, I like that thought. I feel like we had some defensive questions down the stretch of this year only because, you know, I think it was like three straight games. They gave up 40 and it was a lot of, you know, through the air and just, you know, there were some injuries and some guys who, you know, just played poorly. So it's, it. I, I feel like I agree with you and, It'll be interesting to monitor kind of where the jobs settle. I don't foresee a situation where there's a lot open like you, but I also know that when it comes to like spring practice and, you know, when you have injuries, it's possible that something happens. So very curious to see where the defense lands, because you're right. We could go into training. Not you know, We could go into fall camp, you know, and it's very clear that the defense is what it is and people will still have a ton of questions about the offense. Taiji Leach gone at safety. Um, Shamar, Shamar McCollum out. Um, like him and Kevin Swin had kind of been co-starters at that outside linebacker position. So like a half starter is gone there. Uh, you're losing Bryce Brown. But I, again, Isaiah Guy had started there enough last year that it doesn't really feel like you're losing a starter and he had played well when he did it. And the point of saying that is linebacker where you lost uh, John Trey Hunter and Venzia was like the only spot where it feels like there's going to be a real battle in the spring. Like it feels like guys can certainly step up, but whereas we're talking about like who is going to be literally the receivers on the depth charter and working with the ones and the twos in spring practice, it feels like a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball are going to use spring and fall camp to kind of solidify them as starters and work on their craft and not so much worry about the guy behind them, but work about what they can do to make themselves better. And so that's another reason why I kind of bet on this defense to be pretty decent next year is that they're going to really get to hit the ground running in a way that maybe the offense isn't going to be as able to right away because there's still business to work out on the offensive side of the ball. There certainly is. And I feel like that's going to be the last thing that kind of gets set in stone and it's probably going to last throughout the season, you know, and I, that sounds like I'm being a pessimist and I'm not trying to, I just think, you know, a lot of good offensive performance comes down to chemistry and talent. And I don't think we can say that there's a ton of chemistry on the offensive side of the ball. Whereas like you mentioned with the defense, there's a ton of stability that's going to happen. Even if there were some pretty important players that left. So yeah, football is uh, roster building is an ever, difficult challenge in today's NCAA. So they it seems like we've got the players and, you know, just got to go out there and try to figure out what roles are up for grabs and, you know, where people are going to be this fall. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to basketball. Uh, it was an 0-2 week for men's basketball, an 0-4 road trip overall, like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, as the Panthers were 77-68 losers to Marshall on Wednesday and 85-83 losers in overtime to Coastal Carolina on Saturday, blowing a 13-point second-half lead in the latter. They're now 9-11 on the season and 4-5 and in Sunbelt play. Uh, gentlemen, what are your thoughts about this pair of games? So I'm going to bring something up that was said on a previous pod and not in like a shaming David about it way. But I, I think before the first set of games against App State and Georgia Southern, David was like, they're not going to lose all four. This team is not the same as last year. Like they're going to be fine. And I'm not saying it'd be like, ah, look, old takes exposed. Let's add this man. He was right because like they should not have lost the game against Coastal Carolina. Like. They let Georgia Southern get hot last Saturday or, you know, Saturday before last, however you want to say it, and got that game out of control. They were playing from behind a lot of the time, you know, basically the final 30 minutes of the game and that one. And that's not one you can go to like, oh, they were better. Like they got outplayed on that day. They were the better team against Coastal Carolina for a lot of that game. They led for nearly 39 minutes. And despite being up 13 and really having as good of an offensive flow as they had in a few weeks... They just lost it all, lost all contain, lost all poise down the stretch and just did a bunch of no-nos to even let the game get to overtime. And at that point, the home team who had had a big comeback and started getting a little bit of their own kind of rhythm offensively, they had the momentum and they took advantage of it and they closed it out in overtime and you know they were the better team in overtime and that's where it flipped and Coastal was the better team and one by two and it was just the type of calamitous loss that you couldn't couldn't take because I still believe like this team is better than last year's team, but we are sitting here. The clock is about to tick over to February. They've got the same number of wins as Georgia state did this point last year. They entered with nine wins. They were nine and 13 entering February last season. They are nine and 11 right now. And so the fact of the matter is no matter how they should be, how they might be in theory, you are what your record says you are. And I think specifically games like Saturday feel like a, a letdown on the coaching side because when things go wrong like that in the final moments of games and in those situations where everything was going wrong, those are the stuff that coaches preach and have plans for. And it seemed like a lot of that just went totally by the wayside. And particularly it's disappointing when you're going up against an interim coach and an interim staff after they had lost Cliff Ellis in December, like it's not a great look to be the coaching staff who gets outcoached in those key moments by an interim head coach. Oof, that was as close to a scathing conversation, uh, you know, a scathing couple of minutes as it'll get from you, Brady. So hats off to you. <laughs> um, yeah, Saturday makes the most sense to start off with. Um, because it wasn't good. I mean, the Marshall loss was like you, you lost by single digits on the road to a team that's about as good. Like when that game flips and it's in Atlanta, like Georgia state should hope to win a game like that because they're pretty evenly matched. Like right. I, I, the only thing I'd say is the same thing I'd say about the coastal loss, which is you kind of wasted a pretty great Dewan Odom game in that one. Um, but you know, shots didn't fall your way in that one. You could live with losses like that. You almost have to bake that in in some of these road games, but that's why the, the Saturday one, like you can't drop that one. And I suppose that's why the coastal one stings even more 
is because one, just if you're talking about the implications of the 40 minutes of, sorry, the 45 minutes of basketball that were played on Saturday, for a lot of that game, you were getting the best version of what Georgia State has been doing this year. You know, and I I couldn't remember while watching it live what game I was thinking to, but Georgia State played a game earlier this year in conference play, one of their four wins. And they started off a little slow, um, took them some time to kind of get into the game. And their opponent also wasn't really into the game, but, you know, no one was scoring. Then their opponent started to go on like a very baby run, like five, you know, like a 5-0 run, not anything crazy. And then Georgia State just kind of started trading baskets. And then by the end of the first half, it really looked like Georgia State was, you know, all right, we've gotten some stops. We're starting to make some buckets. We're going to take this lead and then, you know, it's going to be like medium sized lead. Right. I I don't like I said, I don't remember what game it was. I believe they they did win that earlier game. But my entire Sounds like thought, Arkansas State. It, it, yeah, it, it kind of does. Um, my entire thought in the early part of the second half was, OK, they've they've started to feel like a team that gets better as halves go on which is good you know i wouldn't call them slow starters necessarily boy did that but, thought not last for the whole of the 40 minutes <laughs> exactly um but so, you know sometimes they do start a little slow um the marshall game is you know another example but the frustrating thing about the coastal game is it just stopped You know, like everything that they were doing well on the defensive side of the ball, everything they were doing well on the offensive side of the ball, it just all kind of stopped. And then Coastal came back, you know, I think, I don't know if they specifically, yes, they tied the game very late. And Georgia State still had the opportunity to not let that game go into overtime. And that's what, like, really is what I struggle with is they were doing so well for so long and then when they lose it it's like oh my god absolutely never coming back type lose it you know and it's like you you needed probably just like one not even probably you needed one more basket in regulation or anything in overtime you know or just it, one of those mistakes you made whether it's the inbounds turnover whether it's fouling a three-point shooter did not happen like they exactly. probably are fine if one of those things doesn't happen but they all did. And that's just the way that, you know, it, it rolled. And, you know, part of why I caveated this before with saying I'm not trying to be pessimistic is because I think it'd be very easy to say during these last four games, you know, when the going's bad, the going's real bad. And it's just this is who they are. This is what they always do. And I don't want to say that that is true, but the fact of everything kind of collapsing how it did has been very emblematic of some of the losses we've seen from Georgia state where it's just like you get down and outside of being on the physical free throw line, the late game execution is just not where it needs to be. And there have been some wins that they've had despite that Arkansas state is a very good example. You know, they held on for dear life. Old dominion, you know, funny enough is an example to the reverse where they were successful and they did have good late game, you know, situational basketball, but this was a, just an opportunity for them to, you know, right the ship after some pretty frustrating and annoying losses and you know salvage this road trip with something and they just couldn't do it and that is 
it's it's not a good loss. I mean, like I, I don't want to beat around the bush. Like it's definitely a terrible loss to take, even if you know you don't think that this Georgia State team is a top Sun Belt team. Yeah, I mean, offensively, they literally had Benny Muss, Coastal's head coach, called two timeouts in the space of like a minute. They're about the time that they took the largest lead of 55-42 because Coastal could not get stops. You know, you had Dewan was just faster. He was getting to every spot he wanted to. Brendan Tucker was coming in off the bench doing more of the same thing. He missed some more shots in this game than he had previously. I think it was 4 of 13. Uh, in this one, he had been a lot better efficiency from the court, but he was still doing that where he was getting past guys, getting into the rim, and whether he was going up with a shot and, or whether he was dishing it out, like they were getting what they wanted to, and they weren't forcing the threes. And offensively, what changed is they just kind of got away from what had been working, and you're having fast break opportunities, okay, you want to try and take advantage of number situations, but when you're the team who's up, say, six, seven, eight, nine. You can't be the one bombing transition threes with 20 seconds on the shot clock and having it not get in. Because part of the problem with that is it's just bad time management, but also necessarily because of the situation. If you're working in transition and the shot isn't there, your bigs aren't going to be down the court getting that rebound. So you're basically just going to be giving the ball back. And that's kind of how it played out. And they just never really got it back. Uh, They made some shots at the line, although it wasn't one of their better free throw shooting games uh, this conference season down the stretch. And they got there and that kept them alive. But they never really got the offensive rhythm back uh, when they lost it there about halfway through the second half. But then this is where the coaching thing comes in for me defensively, because there were certainly, uh, you know, Tanari Lane, you can't foul a three point shooter. That's like rule number one of defending in basketball. Uh, really sloppy on the inbounds. Uh, Jaden's got to grab that, but also why is he getting the bounce pass in the corner when he's, you know, he's 77% free throw shooter, but Georgia State's got better options and Georgia State's got better options who are ball handlers that you would trust in that kind of press situation a little bit more, but players have some agency in that. Like players can make mistakes on the court, but when you look at where Kevin Easley for Coastal Carolina and Ojiako also, uh, who they were kind of lucky was, I think, four of 11 from the floor because he was getting in some good positions. Like when Easley and Ojiako beat, say, Jaden Turner once down low in the post, just work him in the post once. That's OK. Guy needs to make a better defensive play. Maybe he messed something up when it is happening just about every possession down the court and there's nothing changing and you're still having the single coverage. You're still having the same guys match up with these guys down low when it's clear that they are just not able to that's on coaching there was not a switch to a zone or there was not really a matchup switch all that much so you had even from like 10 minutes on the clock in the second half all the way down to the final minutes easily just doing pretty simple post move just biding his time waiting for a guy to leave his feet or whatever and he would get a shot at the basket and they would go in he had 28 points and at a certain point i think they realized that they just needed to feed him and he would make things happen, whether it was he got a shot or whether he dished out from there to an open shooter because um, Mac Vicker, their big uh, kind of stretch four or five E guy was the only guy really making threes for them. And they got some shots after they worked it down low, worked it back outside. And that's where I look to is like. There had to be some kind of adjustment because they were just getting killed and it came on the back of in the Marshall game. 
uh, Anatili Killen and Nate Martin, the Marshall Biggs, combined for 30 points in the second half of that. Absolutely took the game over. So it's now a whole week now where you looked at two losses where in the second half it flipped because you couldn't get stops and you couldn't stop their bigs from controlling uh, really the, just the flow of the game, the scoring for the other team. And I get the Georgia State doesn't have that size, but ultimately the coaches have got to come up with whatever answer they can. And it just felt like there wasn't even really that adjustment that didn't work. It just kind of felt like they tried to get it to work as it was and that hurt them really bad. Yeah, and it's it sucks because I feel like what we're seeing is a lot of little things, but we're seeing a lot of little things that then compound into bigger issues. You know, like I I am obviously not a basketball coach. I'm not even going to sit here and tell you that going to a zone specifically would have done anything on easily. I'm not saying I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like I don't know, sure. but I feel I'm like the guy with the microphone. It doesn't have to be a zone. I just there wasn't anything it felt like that was markedly different that they were trying. And it's like this dude is just getting whatever he wants down in the post. You got to do something. And and see that's where I've struggled sometimes with coaching and with the way that Georgia State has played some this year and you know we saw it a lot last year and I think we excused it just because of talent and you know first year head coach and I, I don't want to pile on Coach Hayes necessarily I just think there there have been times earlier this year where you could just very clearly tell that it's going to be one of those games that Lucas Taylor doesn't have it you know Tanari Lane doesn't have it. And, you know, they're in the midst of a opposing 7-0 run or whatever, and we're still chucking up bad shots and, you know, basically letting 10 seconds run off of the shot clock and, you know, just shooting up whatever it is that they want to do instead of actually trying to run an offense or, you know, making a move, making a switch, bringing in somebody off the bench sooner than you otherwise would, you know, don't worry about staggering minutes. Like I know that you can't play the same couple of basketball players for 40 minutes, day in, day out. You know, these are still, you know, 18 to 22 year olds in theory. Um, but that's just that's just sometimes you expect to see certain things change and be a reflection of the game situation. And I'm sorry, but we just really have struggled to see that sort of growth, you know, quarter in or half a basketball in half a basketball out game in game out, you know, and sometimes it's good. And sometimes you'll see stretches of, you know, things improving. And then you'll have a stretch like this past week where it's like, well, nothing, you know, everything stayed the same. Same principle I was going with talking about the defensive down the post. Like if it happens once on a player, you know, if it happens more than once, coaches have got to fix something. All that late game stuff, you know, the inbounds play with the turnovers, obviously the, the most notable one, but the final possession, they're, they're down, they've got a, they're on two, they got two seconds and they've got to go 90 feet. So it's not like an easy setup, but it, the play call, they went with live. There was no one coming back to the backcourt to even give Dewan an outlet. And so it ended up being, he heaved it down about 70 feet and it got into, in, you know, into a host of bodies and they didn't even get a shot off there at the end where, you know, coastal would miss some free throws in overtime to even give them a shot. Like they were down four in the final, like 80 seconds of OT. And I think coastal had the ball at that point. Like it didn't even have to be down in the final seconds at that point. Coastal had kind of controlled what they needed to, but because of those missed free throws, the door was ever so open. And 
I just didn't feel like that final play really gave them a shot there. And it's again, it, when all of this stuff is piling up in the same things, it's not really like you can say, oh, Dewan messed this up or, you know, it feels like it's just not being prepared for the situation and not having a good enough call there to go to to really get a good look. And it's not the first time that that's been a problem. And like you say, it's little things. And I think it's probably you know, it's good for Georgia State that after last year where they were big things away from winning a lot of these games, they're down to the little things that are costing them in games like this and you know, games like uh, the App State game even, which was against a good team. Uh, games like against Marshall. Little things are costing them, but that's where the coaching staff has got to make their money and get them ready for these situations because it really felt like a team that wasn't ready for that moment. And they're too good when you know when you see how they played for most of that game for that to be the case. But you know, that's where coaches have to do what they do, you know, and I think that's where you know, we I don't know if we talked about it on here or not, but like this is the first first time Coach George State is hired since really this peak of time. You know, Michael Perry succeeded Lefty Drizel. That's the last first time coach that George State's had. Ron Hunter and Rob Lanier had had coaching experience before. And I think that they had a more of a sense of how to install what they wanted to do and had more of a game feel from this seat on the bench because it is different than any other seat. You know, making that jump from assistant to head coach is a big one. And this is still Jonas's second year doing it. Uh, but games like this showed that. And, you know, the rest of the season, they've got some winnable games on the slate. But these situations are going to keep coming up. And the staff has got to be able to rep stuff in practice, draw stuff up on the, on the board to get them ready more so. And because I think that they're too bad, you know, they're too good to be this bad at this point when you look at their record. Uh, but there's no reason to think, you know, Saturday could happen again just because of what we've seen so far, because this this team has not shown an ability to be consistent enough in those situations. And I think it would real be a real unfortunate reflection for this coaching staff, because I think that they at least got this back to where it should be a 500 team competing for the middle part of the Sun Belt at at worst. But then here you are and you're losing back to back weeks to you know, Georgia Southern, who's got four wins on the season, five wins on the season. And this Coastal Carolina team that I think you were better than, but you just spit the bit out. Yeah, I mean, they're going to still be in situations, regardless of who they play, where late game ability and, you know, late game decision making is going to be important. You know, I mean, regardless. And by the way, the book's out. Anyone with front court, you know, guys down low, that's going to be the offensive game plan. So you weren't ready for it this week against Marshall or Coastal, but apps coming, you know, other teams that have those type of guys are coming. Like, get ready. You're going to have to have a plan again this time. Exactly. You know, and teams also know that they're not going to have to necessarily defend as close down there unless it's one of the guards. So that also helps their bigs not get in foul trouble to prevent them, you know, from being able to utilize that plan. So this is the part of the season where Georgia State's either going to have to, you know, punch back in a different way where they're hitting their threes and, you know, playing good defense or the bigs are just going to have to step up and, you know, find a way to get the job done. Last thing on the pile on, I guess. Um, similar theme as well with this. Uh, it it hasn't really cost them. It didn't cost them in this situation. Uh, it hasn't cost them in other situations. But 
even the the final shot, the situation with Dewan getting the final shot after the three point shooter is fouled and Coastal ties it, they keep going too early on those situations. It's not the first time it's happened. Um, I don't think it's even got them to the point where the other team has made a shot off of it, but Coastal got a heave of the buzzer in regulation. And when you're holding for the last shot, like that can't happen. They can't get a good look. And it was from 60 feet, but it was an uncontested look from 60 feet. And that's again, coaching in those situations and making sure they know when they need to start running the offense. But, um, I started out when we were talking about the Marshall game saying it, and it's again with this game. I don't want to say that there was nothing. Like, Dewan Odom scored 30 points in this one. He hit a three again. He's four of nine from three on the year. And you saw a lot of just that recruiting pedigree from him. And you saw it against Marshall as well. You, you had some real highs in this game. And for all the talk of, you know, when Lucas Taylor and Tenari Lane take too many shots, that wasn't really the case. They, can't, they kept it in check. They weren't going crazy they kind of ceded to Dewan for a lot of the game. And it was just in little moments where I think that you got from different guys, just that lack of the discipline that they had kept in check for a lot of the game on Saturday, but it haunted them uh, down the stretch. And ultimately it's part of why they lost the game. I think you can live with those two being a combined seven for 20. You know, I really think you can live with that. Especially you got Dewan going 30 point controlling things. But like, I like the, Again, it all feels part and parcel of the similar thing where just you got to clean up this, the, the X's and O's, the coaching stuff, just because, again, we could have had a totally different podcast where, yes, there was a lot that no matter what would have been real problematic with how that game got close again when you had things under control. But if you can get something drawn up there, you can figure something out with the final shot where Dewan gets a mid-ranger to fall as the buzzer is sounding. George State escapes with a win. It is entirely different. You can talk all you want about bad wins, but bad wins are uh, a lot better than any kind of loss. Uh, wasn't the case on, on Saturday, though. And it's another situation where you just got to clean stuff up, got to work on the little things, because to the point where it is now costing them spots on the season. And now you look at the games that they just lost. You know, if they win the five games that they're projected to win per Ken Palm's metrics at this point in the season, Doris Day will finish 14 and 16 in the regular season. Would be only the third losing season since the team joined the conference. It would be uh, only the third losing conference record for the team since joining the Sun Belt. And both of those things would happen in back-to-back seasons only, after only happening once before. They just lost to a coastal team they should have beaten and a Georgia Southern team that on paper could have easily been a win, especially when you beat them by 28. You flip those no matter what the rest of the way, if they win the games they're supposed to, then they're 16 and 14. And having a winning record feels like something you'd at least be like, this is progress. Now they're at the point where they're going to have to get upsets to get to that point. And they're also going to have to take care of the games they quote, quote, should win, which we just spent a lot of time talking about. They dropped a couple of those just now that they absolutely should have been in and won those games. So you can't take any of it for granted. But even if at this point you take it for granted, the damage might already be done as far as feeling like this season is a step in the right direction. Because if they do that, they're 14 and 16. It's really not going to feel that different unless they go on some run in Pensacola. 
isn't this fun? <laughs> We're, isn't the, you know, all the, we have to do this, but we just did this. That's, that's what makes this rewarding for us and for people who are fans of Georgia State, right? Yeah, let us know if, if this was cathartic, if this was therapeutic, whatever, because I feel like if it wasn't, then, you know, what's the point of that? It's just it's so amusing to me because I feel like we've had that same conversation each of the last two years on football. Um, just like the, you know, th they are what they are and, you know, they could be something else. And I still think that they're close to being in that something else category. It's just, you know, it's it's the little things sometimes. So I do hope that they can, you know, pull off an up, a couple of upsets. Go on, just go on an equivalent run to that four, you know, four straight losses. Just get four straight wins. Why not? You know, find a way to get the vibes back going. Because they, they, the why not might be coming in what it, we're about to talk about the game previews, but. That's fair. The, the reason I say that is only because, like, it, I know that I apparently jinxed everything, but, you know, the way that the team was playing before this these last two weeks genuinely warranted, okay, you know, we're seeing some things. Yes, the quality of opponent was, you know, there's some mixed reviews, but at this point, Georgia Southern has a better conference record than Georgia State does. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they are a better team still. But, you know, we saw some we saw good things with Georgia State and some of the teams that they played throughout the non-con schedule as well. So just really need to get the vibes going back in the right direction because it's been uh, it's been a pretty bad two weeks. All right. So moving on, speaking of getting things going in the right direction, it does not get any easier, even as the locale becomes more friendly for the Panthers. Uh, this week, Georgia State is back home, but they'll face the current number one and number two seed in the conference, respectively, when App State and Troy come to Atlanta. Tip off versus the Mountaineers, who beat GSU 76 268 in Boone to start the previous cursed road trip is 7 p.m. on Thursday, while the men of Troy will come on Saturday for a 4 p.m. tip on what is going to be alumni day for the program as announced in a video on Twitter by Ryan Harrow a couple of weeks back. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this upcoming homestand? Yeah, there's your good vibes. I remembered seeing that video. We didn't talk about it at the time, but it's game week, so we can mention it now. Um, hope to see a lot of the guys, from, especially in the last decade of uh, just Georgia State basketball excellence, being able to make it back. Um, I don't know whose schedules it doesn't align with because it is in the middle of basketball season for professional teams, but uh, hope to see... A lot of guys there on Saturday when Troy come uh, should be a fun little whether it's at halftime or pregame, whatever. When those guys, I'm sure they're going to be honored or whatever. Um, nice moment for the fans in attendance to kind of remember the good times as uh, Georgia State's not at those at this present moment in time. Certainly, but, you know, that does refresh the vibes because it's a good opponent too, an opponent that has some history with Georgia State. You know, it's a. Uh... It was it was a good decision to come back for this one. And I know, obviously, they chose Troy specifically. I think there's, you know, doing some athletic sponsored events. Um, so it was it was good on good on the people upstairs. We talk a lot about stuff that we don't like with athletics. So, you know, good on the people upstairs making some good decisions here, because this this is a really fun little moment for, you know, a former player and. Just, I guess, the fans in general. I mean, I'm sure there are fans who do not know who Ryan Harrow is. Hopefully not too many, though. 
You got to know. Yeah. You got to know like the Mount Rushmore types of Georgia State basketball if you've been following Georgia State basketball, even if you've only been in school for the last couple of years. Uh, but past that, talking about the games, this is kind of the worst time to have this particular homestand because if you look at the way the schedule breaks the rest of the year, like they played six of their first nine conference games were road games. And so that now flips. You've got six home games in Sunbelt left and three on the road. And you've also got the Miami of Ohio home game in the Max Sunbelt Challenge. So you've got seven games at home. They've only lost once at home this year. This does figure to be where things can flip. Like it's easy to immediately just say, start winning your games at home and things will feel better. Uh, but App State's really good. They just beat James Madison twice, who I think everyone thought was the best team in the conference. And now, well, App State really has that claim because they've beaten the team that was supposed to be the king in Harrisonburg and this past weekend in Boone um, and Troy, who is, I think people kind of thought went over the, under the radar, which I feel like is just like the Scott Cross superpower with his teams. Cause I always think that his teams are going to be good. Just going back to when he was the UTA head coach. So, okay. Borrowing from the cursed uh, football messaging, like it is a, so what now what situation? Cause it's like, you kind of need to get one of these games at least because where they're at, especially dropping, you know, to now six in a row you've lost would just be really hard to feel like you're going to grab the momentum back. But it's App State and Troy. It's two good teams. Thing you can point to, I guess, is you played App State pretty well. Like what has been lost because the last three games have been kind of bummery is the vibes after the App State loss were kind of okay like you battled on the road against a documented good basketball team playing at their style so there are probably lessons that you took from that game that things that worked and there's things that you got to work on and you know i talked about there's going to be a game plan from anyone with size to just attack the the paint because that's what worked to devastating effect for marshall and coastal carolina this week and app state's got that so Phase one of having a response to not letting that happen again, not letting a guy drop 28 on you or a pair of guys down low drop 30 on you combined in the second half. Like that starts on on, on the Thursday because App State's certainly going to provide that challenge. And, I, you know, to your point about how they played in Boone, I feel much better about the App State game simply because Georgia State played so well on the road. And obviously they usually play well at home and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's going to be easy for Georgia state to, you know, beat app state this weekend. That's, that's absolutely not the case. You know, it's still going to be a game that Georgia state is going to have to get up for. It's still going to be a game, you know, that they're going to have to play a physical 40 minutes or however long it's going to be. And, you know, they're going to have to find a way to hit their shots. I just think, you know, we've seen them do that against this team and just come up short. You know, we just spent, you know, however long 30 minutes talking about late game situations and, you know, being able to close out. And while, a, a late game, you know, fumble wasn't necessarily what lost them against App State. It was just, you know, App State was able to just match every sort of run that Georgia State was trying to go on well, late in the and, game. And let's say it this way that I don't foresee a world where Georgia State blows the doors off of this App State team. They're the way they are play, especially defensively, they are hard to blow out. So if you're looking at this as all right, we've got to pull this upset, you're gonna be in a nail biter down the stretch in this one. I don't see many outcomes where Georgia State just absolutely rolls this team that has been pretty unrollable 
able to beat SEC Auburn, beat a good James Madison team twice, um, really establishes themselves defensively. And so here you go again. Phase one of showing you've got a better answer in those final minutes if you want to be in tight game than what you showed against Coastal Carolina. A um, couple of things in their favor, like App State's not a particularly great three-point shooting team. Uh, pair under 31%, about the same spot Georgia State is as a team, but it's really concentrated where Chris Manis is their best three-point shooter uh, for sure. He's a little under 35% against D1 competition, and Specifically in this matchup last year in Atlanta, he absolutely torched Georgia State uh, last year. They couldn't play him in Boone because every time he'd be out there, Brendan Tucker was just too fast for him to stay with defensively. And so if Georgia State can find any kind of what they found where they're just hitting their threes and they're taking away perimeter threat that App State has and forcing other guys to maybe be that option rather than go to a guy they like to go to off the bench to kind of be that spark plug shooting-wise, then that could play to their advantage if they're able to make that happen again. And that is kind of another point about just coaching in general and like what their job is as far as putting players in the best spot to win. Because we've seen Dewan and Brendan be just too fast for even some belt guards to stick with. When they are making their good decisions, they've just got a really good first step and when they've got maybe a good screen sent their way that helps them get that inkling of space that's all they need sometimes and you know when they've been putting up 90 in games you've seen a long stretch where they are sticking to what works and the coaches have got to keep setting up on those situations and keep just hammering that point and keep on them about it because this isn't going to be the team that that's the assist record in the Sun Belt. Like, it's just not where their strength is. But they've got good guards that can get buckets themselves, and we've seen it be a strength. Like, we have saw them force Manus off the court against App, and it helped them get back in that game in the second half. Uh, they just haven't done that all the time, and that's when the offense hits ruts, the defense just isn't good enough to make up the difference. And so you're, you're really... In both these games, against App State and against Troy, you're just going to have to hit your shots uh, to really give yourself a shot because that's, you know, it's almost how it played out when you almost got the win on the road in Boone when second half, three-point shooting jumped way up and you gave yourself a shot. And, you know, and I think the difference between App and Troy here this weekend um, besides the fact that Georgia State played them, is just kind of the style of play that both of them have had. Um, you know, App just really, really good defensively so far this year. Um, Troy has been good defensively, but the challenge with App, and like we talked about a few weeks ago when they played in Boone, is just how good defensively they are, you know, compared to the rest of the conference. Like, I think, like, so if you just look at the straight up opponent for, uh, field goal percentage, Troy is 42.5%. That's uh, 0.8 away from where Georgia State is. App's at 374 like that, I'm not, I'm, that just sounds 
incredibly yeah. daunting to have to be like, okay, this is not a team that's going to give you one, a lot of opportunities. And two, you really have to make the most of your opportunities when you're facing them, because if one, they score a lot too. It's not, you know, app is very good. So if you're not able to match their offense, then, you know, you're screwed on that end. And then on the other side, just playing and being in that physical type of game for that long can certainly be a challenging spot to be in for a basketball player. So it, you know, it's, it's kind of the difference in style that we've seen each of the two games. It's another week of it. The only problem is this time both of them are actually still good at defense, regardless of to what degree they are good at the defense. Yeah, with Troy, it's they're really prolific at forcing turnovers, whereas App doesn't really play that type of game. They don't have to because they defend straight up really, really well, and they don't foul when they're defending. Like their turnover percentage as a team is defensively is not that much better than Georgia State's. I mean, it is better, but they're still just just above the top 300 in turnover percentage defensively. It's just how well they are defending, and especially they've been really good defensively in conference play. Uh, the number is not nearly as gaudy uh, for them, but they're giving up just over 43% on two-pointers defensively in some belt play. And they're pairing that with shooting 54% on their own twos. This is App State. You flip it to Troy, and they're the top 50 in the country enforcing turnovers defensively. That shapes up to not be necessarily, you know, Georgia State has been very good at protecting the ball themselves, even as they haven't forced turn- turnovers defensively. Uh, but then you flip it to the other side, and Troy's been a good three-point shooting team. And for the most part, uh, the Southern game aside, really, uh, and against BYU, Georgia State has been a good three-point defensive team. And so as I look at that game, you know, it is, is Troy able to have a good shooting day from three as they have a lot of games this year, even while Georgia State has been good in that aspect defensively? Is Georgia State, who has taken care of the basketball at a really, really high level when you look nationally, able to still do that against a Troy team that also is really good at just making those turnovers happen as a defense. And you look back at that game last year against Troy in Atlanta, kind of similar game. You looked at it as like a, a Troy was a good team. At that point, they were three and one in some belt play. They were 11 and six, but it was a spot where it's like, all right, see what you can do. And they only lost by 12. They lost 65, 53. Georgia State had 20 turnovers in that game. And I remember it being that game where it was kind of like they lost all sort of poise again and just had some silly turnovers. But that's what Troy can do to you. And so it's going to be a test. And it's something that I think they're maybe ready for because that's not been where they've been losing games this year. But in moments, it's cost them and you have to be ready for it. And like you said, that is just a for the two styles, the, the two things that you're going to have to prep totally differently for what the other defense is trying to do in back-to-back games. Like it just adds to this is really just not an easy immediate chance to kind of get something back at home. Like I think that the, the home cooking aspect is going to play a part as the weeks go on and more of these games come along. But like, this is when you're looking for a way out of being nine and 11 and losing four straight, this was not what you would have signed up for. Yeah, certainly isn't, you know, so I mean, it's it's go time, I suppose, in the season. You got to you really got to have at least one of these and, you know, never 
never a time like the present to really get your season back on track. And I don't know that anyone's been keeping up with the roster. So I can report that former Georgia State Panther and the fear of everyone that he would just go off last year when they played. Uh, Nelson Phillips is lost. His, you know, he's, he's out of eligibility. He's not on Troy this year. So you don't have that aspect to worry about. It's like on top of everything else, like is a former Georgia State player going to come in and absolutely shoot the lights off of this team? Uh, not at least on Saturday. All right. And before we get to out of here this week, we got to make a stop and talk about women's basketball had a one in one week, but the win was a big time 74 to 66 rivalry victory against Georgia Southern on Wednesday. Uh, the 73 to 65 loss to ODU on Saturday leaves them 11 and eight on the year and five and four in Sunbelt play good for sixth place. Currently like the men, they get a week at home hosting James Madison, who's currently tied for third in the conference on Wednesday before Southern comes to the convocation center, looking for revenge on Saturday. Gentlemen, Thoughts on women's basketball. Yeah, so all this wide receiver transfer news happened, I believe, in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the men's game we just talked about happened in the last couple of weeks. I feel like that win over Georgia Southern for the women was like the singular good thing that happened to Georgia State Athletics in the last couple of weeks. Like basically, uh, since uh, the last home, since Georgia State beat Georgia Southern in Atlanta in men's basketball. So uh, well done there. Um, immediate chance to kind of get the vibes back in the rivalry if nothing else is always a good thing for a fan base and so i guess what you look at this game you look at this season been the best season that women's team has had in a few years and you it's not really hard to see why they've got primary guys you know primary girls they can lean on every game and in statesboro last week crystal henderson the freshman, just continuing to do things that freshmen don't usually do. 20 points, 8 of 13 shooting, 2 of 4 from 3, and the defensive end, they closed that one out. They shot 43%, 44% as a team in the fourth quarter. Georgia Southern shot 32% as a team. Georgia State ended up, it was a tie game entering the final quarter, and they dominated proceedings down the stretch and got a big rivalry win and kept the kept it rolling. You know, they've, they've lost some games, you know, they're middle of the pack in the Sun Belt, but there's clearly a lot of top end talent on this team. That's able to win them basketball games. And you know, in the inverse of situation where you're looking at a, what a four or five win team for the uh, men's version of Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern women are 13 and eight right now. They're three and six in Sun Belt play, but that's partly because you just gave them a loss, but it's a good team that you uh, went down there and beat. Certainly is a good team that they went down there and beat. And, you know, it's very funny that the women shot 22% from behind the arc and still found a way to win this game by eight. So, you know, clearly they need to, you know, teach the men how to play some defense or find a way to get the ball and tell the men that they need to score a little bit more and be a little bit more consistent. Because um, it is possible. You know, like you, you watch you watch the way that, Georgia State has played the women have played in years past and like you said they're not the, the current team is not playing like how some of the teams in the past have played they have three really capable scorers you know they're getting contributions from you know multiple people and it's not just one person um and yeah obviously they kind of came a little bit down to earth after we talked about them last couple of times but i mean this this is a solid win you know and the loss that they had against old dominion i mean old dominion is 14 and 5 on the season they're 6 and 3 in conference play like that's it's a tough old dominion team to beat on the road you know it seems so it 
the vibes and, 21 turnovers and you lost by eight on the road like you could point it to like just easy on the, the turnovers there you might be okay yeah, you know, we t- we talk about the little things with the men, um, and yes, there's certainly things to clean up, but, you know, there's an example of something for the women about how, you know, you can still keep games good and competitive and be very close to winning and win more often than not if you take care of the little things, you know, going forward, don't have 21 turnovers in the game and, you know, you'll go back to winning them. And you look at the standings, there is a kind of a, a pile up right behind Georgia State uh, at five and four. You've got Arkansas State four and five, App State and Louisiana also at four and five, uh, and then Georgia Southern at three and six, and along with Southern Miss. If you're at least able to get the finish the sweep, because James Madison's a, a really good team. They're seven and two Stumbelt play. They're fifteen and six on the season. Um, I guess we just have to get used to saying they're good in just about everything. Um, in fairness, it is what the JMU sports blog guys said when we had them on for that podcast. They were basically kind of like, we're interested in being good in everything, but certainly that's the case with them. That uh, That's a tough draw for the first game this week. But if you at least go 500 here, one, the rivalry 2-0 for the season is going to feel good. And two, unless someone goes on a sweep, you should hold down your spot in six there with a six and five conference record. Still in the top half of the league, still earning at least one bye and still within shouting distance of another buy on top of that, which feels unprecedented for where Georgia State women's basketball has been in the last decade. But they're in a good position, I think. And it's really just game to game. You you know what you're getting from these top players, and that makes a difference. And it feels like maybe what hasn't been there in season past is just the ability at the top, but also the depth of that ability. You've got multiple players you can lean on and Someone among Tolliver and Maya Williams and uh, Crystal Henderson is going to be on in a given game. Uh, and it was certainly Henderson on a, well, last week against Georgia Southern. The one thing to say, you know, as well for the women going forward is, you know, the separation for like, it'll be important for them to get that separation um, as they kind of end, exit this stage of the season. But, you know, the, the their schedule down the stretch is a little bit opposite to the men where I feel like it's getting a little bit tougher. And then at the very end, it's pretty it's pretty tough outside of Coastal Carolina. So, you know, got to keep got to keep getting the wins where they can come by. Yeah, I mean, if they just at least split this you know, tough week at home and then stack up some more sweeps at home down the stretch, even if you do have to go to a very good Marshall team at the end of the season who are still undefeated in conference play at this point and seem to just be kind of the class of the league right now. You got to get your wins here, like you say, because it is going to be, you know, they've still got two tough road trips coming up, which is more than men can say, because the men have two road trips, but there's only one game on one of those. So it's, there's still, I guess it, it could have shaken out worse schedule wise, but there's still some tough days ahead. Homestands are going to have to start counting for both these teams as they're looking to achieve their goals the rest of the way. All right. And of course, can't get you out of here without talking about sports, but it's been a couple weeks since we've done them, uh, since I haven't been able to be on the podcast, but we are back and starting today with the release of this podcast on the 30th of January, women's tennis heads up to Georgia Tech to face the Yellow Jackets at 4 p.m. And on Wednesday, women's basketball, like we just talked about, hosts James Madison at the Convocation Center at 6.30 p.m., and you can watch that game on ESPN+. Plus. Moving into February, on the 1st, 
We have men's basketball, of course, hosting App State at 7, and you can see that game on ESPN Plus or listen to Dave Cohen live on the call on WRSFM 88.5. Moving into Friday, we've got spring sports. Women's tennis takes on DePaul and Boca Raton, Florida at noon. Women's track and field heads to Boston, Massachusetts for the Crimson Invite with Harvard at noon. And men's tennis travels up the road to Georgia Tech at 5 p.m. Moving on to Saturday, men's golf heads down to Statesboro for the Thomas Sharkey Individual Collegiate with Georgia Southern. Uh, Women's track and field is at the Scarlet and White Invite in Boston at 10 a.m. And women's tennis takes on FAU in Boca Raton, Florida at noon. While women's basketball hosts Georgia Southern in the Convocation Center at 1 p.m. You can watch that on ESPN+. And then later that afternoon, men's basketball hosts Troy at 4 you can watch that on ESPN Plus or listen live to Dave Cohen on the call on WGTJFM 97.5. Moving on to Sunday, you have women's track and field heading to Birmingham for the South Alabama Invitational at 9 a.m. And women's tennis plays Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida at 10 a.m. as well. And that's everything happening on the Georgia State Athletics calendar before the next time we see you in the Thursday Night Podcast. So get out there and support the Panthers, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.